The Truth News Network. A liberal school board is voted out. Conservatives are voted in. The State Department of Education doesn't like it and disbands the school board and puts the old agenda back into place. And where is this happening? Cuba, Russia, China, North Korea? No, New Mexico. Have you heard the story yet? Because the press is oddly silent. But we're not. We're TNN, the Truth News Network, and the speaker of this house is Dan Newman. Yeah, we just think we live in a fair country, fair democracy. Well, most of it is, thank God, but we are losing little bits and pieces of our democracy every day. Oh, wait a minute. We can't do that. We can't lose our democracy until Donald Trump's back in the White House. He's going to take it away from us, right? (laughs) Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Lie. Yeah, let the insanity began because the left are not changing their mantra. They're not changing their claims. They know the facts about everything and about everybody and just shut up and listen to them. That's the mantra. And between now and November, it's only going to get bigger, deeper, angrier, scarier. But you know what? We're on the right side of all of this. If you are just one of those people that are tempted to say, look, I don't need to be a part of this, I want to say something very important to us all. Yeah, you do. You need to be part of this. We all do. You know why? Because we already are part of this. And you can't just lay down and allow the bullies to steal the freedom, the liberty of the United States of America from us. Let me tell you what is going on. This morning we have some really big things to talk about, some very important things. Before we play our usual top of the show song, there was a little uh, occurrence that happened yesterday that involves Truth News Network, and it involves Steve Baker. Uh, If you are one of the regulars that uh, are in our subscription list, every morning when a new story is published, you get a link in an email that you could just click on the link and it takes you right to the story. You don't have to dig looking for the latest stuff when you go there. That's all it is. We never monetize any of this. It's all for free, everything we hear. Well, it's free for you. But we, at the behest of Steve Baker's attorneys, have a story that is just now gone live. We had to wait till 9 o'clock Central Time for it to go live about what's coming ahead And it's actually Steve Baker's very significant group of attorneys wrote a letter to the U.S. Department of Justice and challenging them and telling them exactly what's going to happen if the DOJ DOJ, plays out these threats they've been making to Steve and his attorneys about arresting Steve Baker. So it's very important now. I want all of you to Take some time in the next few hours, if you can, and read what those attorneys said. And besides that, so much, so much to get into. Some really important things. It's getting really spooky in our nation, isn't it? I mean, in large part, we don't know who to trust. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. We can... 
open our windows and look out and see our landscape, at least where we are right now ourselves. But we hear about all the other stuff that we don't ex- we don't experience firsthand, most of us. Sometimes we do, and certainly all of us to some degree experience some of it. But folks, the United States of America is in trouble. We're all in trouble. Now, this is not the end of everything. This is not something that can't be fixed. But the fixing and the fixers are what has got to be determined. Big news, as you know, yesterday, coming out of our presidential election and the race, they're up in New Hampshire now. We're going to get into a little bit of that. But we're going to take a break just for two or three minutes. And maybe kind of listen to something that'll make you smile a little bit. And this will take you back a few years. Probably, oh, I don't know, more than uh, 10 or 15 or 20. Enjoy this.
makes you remember a little bit, doesn't it? How long ago was that? I don't even remember the year. I just know it was something that was fun to listen to at the time. No deep stuff there. Just talking about their baby. Some kind of wonderful. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you were able to spend time with folks you love and you dodged the bad weather across the nation wherever you are and wherever you were today. We had temperatures last week. Single digits. That's unheard of in northwest Louisiana. Yesterday it was cold. Woke up, it was in the 20s. High 20s, thank God. But it was still in the 20s. And this morning, it's a balmy 39 degrees, and it's going to rain here all day. There's an old saying about North Louisiana. You don't like the weather in northwest Louisiana? Wait an hour. It'll change. Maybe get better for you. Seems like a lot of that is happening around us, and maybe we just notice it more. I, I don't know. I think it has something to do with the world seems to thrive on finding bad things or looking at things and defining them as bad. Instead of the glass being half full, it's half empty. I'm not one of those people. My glass is always at least half full, very seldom half full. It's full. You know why? Because I'm all in. Hey, life is life. Circumstances come our way. They change. They hurt sometimes. Sometimes they're really good. But you got to find a way to deal with it all. And there are certain things, certain things, instances, circumstances, and certain people that make it hard to do. But just keep on pushing, shoving. You're going to be okay. We're going to. We're all going to be okay. God's got this thing. That's the way I feel about it. Well, the big deal yesterday, of course, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he voluntarily kicked himself to the curb in this presidential race. And we're going to spend a few minutes talking about what that will do and let you hear from some people. So with Ron DeSantis' shock announcement yesterday that he is out of the White House race, the question now, who, oh who, do his supporters back? Will they flock to Donald Trump and give the frontrunner even a greater momentum or maybe decide to throw their weight behind Nikki Haley? And then, of course, they might look across the aisle at the Democrats. God help us if they do. (laughs) The New Hampshire primary is less than 48 hours away, and Haley is hoping for a long-shot victory to close the gap with Trump in what is now what she projected at the end of the Iowa caucuses. It's a two-person race now. She's behind Trump in the polls by double digits, and she's facing an uphill battle to win the state she's focused on after finishing third in Iowa. Still not clear how DeSantis' bombshell decision to end his campaign will play out at the ballot box. But analysts, the experts, they're all over the place. Pollsters have suggested it's going to benefit Trump. So I thought we couldn't do anything better than to hear the comments of the president. Donald Trump and what he thinks about DeSantis pulling out of the race. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and, of course, a 
Really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a, a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m., and in so doing, he was very gracious, and he endorsed me, so I appreciate it. I appreciate that, and I also look forward to working with Ron and everybody else to defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will have to get him out. We have to get him out. He's put our country at great peril, at great peril. So I just want to thank Ron and uh, congratulate him on doing a very good job. It's a tough situation. It's a tough thing to do. That's a former president kind of sounding a bit more subdued than we remember him. Remember how vile he seemed to be in his campaign, his first campaign, his second campaign? Seems like he's toned it down a little bit. Tried to get to him, information to him, um, after he won his election back in 2016. I, I, don't, I don't know if it ever got through. It was a letter that was written by my older brother and uh, very complimentary of the president, how much support we have for him and made a suggestion about one thing, that he toned down not his messages but his messaging. It made a lot of sense and maybe eventually it got through to the president. I don't know, but at least he was gracious about DeSantis, and uh, he and Ron DeSantis had kind of had some bad words about each other. That's politics. Hopefully, they can work through together and get us somebody in the White House that's going to straighten this mess out. So what's it look like? Nikki Haley. So after this drama yesterday, she was asked a few things by people up where she's campaigning in New Hampshire, and she acknowledged that she lacks a voter base, which kind of surprised me. I mean, she was governor for a long time in uh, South Carolina, and then our representative, the U.S. representative, into the United Nations. So she's been around the block a few times, and she's very um, positive about her and her campaign. And for her to say that she lacks a voter base kind of um, shocked me. But she doesn't view that as a drawback. She's trying to pull off an upset in New Hampshire in the Republican primary. So she, as many, have been barnstorming the Granite State in hopes of pulling off a surprise win over Donald Trump. Haley was asked what her base looks like. I don't have one, she said. I don't just want a certain type of person. I want everybody. That's the only way we're going to heal our country. And she added, that's my whole thing. I know you're saying, you know, she's getting independents to vote for her. You have to want everybody, she said. It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change the solutions I think we need going forward. But it does mean that I'm going to treat everybody with respect. I'm going to let them know what I'm about, what I want to do, and how I want to do it. I'm not going to push people away. I'm going to bring people in. That's what I did in South Carolina. You're supposed to work on lifting up everybody, not just a select few. 
Well, she's in this two-person race with Trump. And uh, she seemed pleased to get the race to a one-to-one matchup with Trump after the large field finally whittled down to the pair over the past year. Can you hear that sound? She asked a large crowd up in New Hampshire over the weekend. That's the sound of a two-person race. Now, she trails Trump in every poll in New Hampshire, but she's polled more strongly there than she ever did in Iowa. She finished third last week and could do well with moderate and independent voters that won't support Trump. But the math looks more ominous going forward, even in her home state of South Carolina. Remember this, Trump holds a commanding polling advantage, recently won the endorsement of Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, a Republican, who Haley first appointed to that position back in 2013. The Trump campaign, as was expected, has stepped up their attacks on Haley, who served in his administration as the ambassador to the U.N., saying she's loved by Democrats, globalists, and Wall Street, and also referred to her by her given name, Nimarada. I probably pronounced that wrong. N-I-M-A-R-A-T-A. Nimarada? Anyway, Haley said yesterday Trump's in middle decline and he's played up her age compared to the party front runners. Trump and President Biden, who are 77 and 81 respectively. Don't be surprised, she said. If you have somebody that's 80 in office, their mental stability is going to continue to decline. That's just human nature, she said. If you look at Joe Biden, he's very different than he was two years ago. Are we really going to go into a situation where we have wars around the world and we're trying to prevent war and we're going to have someone who can or can't be sure is getting and going to get confused? I, I have my thoughts about that stuff. But before we hear what I have to say about Nikki Haley, Tucker Carlson, last week, the day after the caucus, caucuses in Iowa, he made some interesting revelations about Nikki Haley. And I thought I'd share these with you. This is Tucker from last week. What would happen if we held an election the way that Americans used to do it just a few years ago? We should try that sometime. Here's how it would work. Everyone would vote on the same day in person. You would show up and present an ID, just like you do at the airport or the liquor store. Then you'd mark your preferences on a piece of paper. You'd do it manually. There would be no electronic voting machines. There would be no drop boxes or absentee ballots. The poll workers would probably be people that you recognize from your own zip code. They'd be your neighbors. They would not be employees of Mark Zuckerberg from California. As for the names on the ballot, you would get to choose those yourself, as citizens do in a democracy. Judges wouldn't be allowed to tell you who you can vote for and who you can't vote for. You'd get to decide. And then once you voted, nobody could order a stop to the vote counting. That would be illegal. So you would know the results of the election in just a few hours, and you would feel pretty confident that they were pretty real. That's how we used to do it in this country. What would happen if we tried it again? Well, as it happens, the state of Iowa did that very thing last night. They had their caucuses. That's the first contest in the 2024 presidential cycle. It all felt very retro, very non-third world. But the results were interesting. Here they are. 
Donald Trump won 51% of the vote. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida got 21%. Nikki Haley got 19%. In other words, Donald Trump won decisively. At this point, it's hard to see how he's not the Republican nominee because he didn't just win last night. He triumphed overwhelmingly by a historic margin. Trump won the Iowa caucuses by about 30 points. That's more than double the previous record. That was set in 1988 by Bob Dole. So last night was not close. It was a shocking blowout. Trump did to Iowa what the Vikings once did to the Irish coast, only smoldering huts remain. Chris Wallace looked like he was going to be sick. On the other channels, they cast about looking for an explanation for this unexpected calamity. Here was NBC News's quote explanation. This is a state that is overrepresented over by white Christians that are going to participate Particularly in these tonight. caucuses, yes. especially tonight. Um, I today, earlier today, reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones, um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper-evangelical st white state. I asked him, they, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following. They see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country, and Trump has promised to give it yeah. back to them. All the things that we think about, about electability, about you know what are people gaming out, or mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours, and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a, is a fraudulent American. Oh, the whites. <laughs> You can see Chris Hayes just repeating himself, I just want to keep my job, I just want to keep my job. <laughs> but they're very upset. And at some point, it'll be interesting after all these many years to discover why a certain sort of person fears Donald Trump to the point of hysteria. There's an awful lot going on there, much more than we publicly acknowledge. But in the meantime, it is enough to know who NBC News believes is at fault for yesterday's history-altering calamity in Iowa. It was the whites, the Christian whites. And if you're being honest, you can see why NBC is so upset. At this hour, millions of devout Christian whites are streaming illegally over our borders, toting their blonde children in their prayer books. And in the process, they're wrecking our schools and hospitals and cities and raising the cost of living and hiking the crime rate. We're watching an invasion by the Christian whites. It's scary. But it's not just NBC that feels this way. Joe Biden's entire reelection message is based on hating these dangerous Christian whites. You heard it unmistakably in his speech last week to a black church in Charleston. You should watch the whole thing online if you'd like a preview of every Democratic presidential campaign to come for the next generation. It's the Robert Mugabe strategy. The real problem, Joe Biden explained, is the whites. They did it. Never mind that white people's life expectancy is dropping faster than any other group in America, thanks in large part to suicide, and that they will soon be a minority in the country their ancestors founded. If anything, these trends aren't accelerating fast enough, says Mugabe Biden. There are too many white people. It's their fault. So Democrats and the media have been saying species of this for years, as you know, and they say it both because apparently it works politically and because they sincerely believe it. And there's no sign they plan to stop anytime in our lifetimes. But for now, they have a more pressing problem on their hands. And that's how to stop Donald Trump and his white Christian campaign. And that's a tough one. And it's made tougher by last night's results. Thankfully, they have a plan, and the plan is Nikki Haley. Now, Haley, frankly, underperformed last night. They told us she was surging in Iowa. She was not surging. Nobody really likes her. She came in third by a thin margin, and that denies the media the chance to declare her the one true alternative to Donald Trump. But don't expect them to give up on Nikki Haley. 
A Nikki Haley presidency is a lot like a war with Iran. It's a terrible idea. No normal person wants it. But because a small, well-funded group of extremely enthusiastic activists are determined to have it anyway, we are perpetually on the verge of getting it. The next skirmish in this ongoing battle is going to take place a week from today in New Hampshire. And hard as it is to believe, Nikki Haley could do pretty well there. She could even win the New Hampshire primary, potentially. How's that possible, you ask? Well, it's taken a lot of coordinated effort and above all, an awful lot of money. Judging from available disclosures, Nikki Haley's team is burning through about $3 million a week in New Hampshire. By contrast, Ron DeSantis seems to be spending zero there. Now, much of Haley's money comes not from Republicans or conservatives, but from committed Democratic partisans. Anti-civilization activist Reid Hoffman, for example, is a major Haley supporter. Reid Hoffman is the founder of LinkedIn. He's a friend of Jeffrey Epstein's. He was a visitor to Pedo Island, in fact. He's also the guy who funded E. Jean Carroll's sexual assault case against Donald Trump. Reid Hoffman is a Democratic mega donor. In 2020, he gave a million dollars to David Brock's American Bridge Pack. That's a group designed to physically harass Republican candidates. Hoffman's money has also helped to prop up the authoritarian governor of California, Gavin Newsom, as well as many others on approximately the same team. So you know exactly who he is. What's interesting is this cycle, Reid Hoffman is all in on Nikki Haley. His cash is paid for one of the most shameless propaganda operations in memory. So the very same people who told you four years ago that Joe Biden was a jovial, moderate grandfather is trying to return America to normal. Those same people are now trying to sell Nikki Haley as a conservative woman of principle. And one of the most enthusiastic peddlers of this absurdity is the neoliberal governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. He's been stumping for Nikki Haley in multiple states. Now, you may not know much about Chris Sununu. He gets relatively little attention outside of New England. His charmlessness makes him a terrible TV guest, so they don't put him on very often. But there's probably no Republican office holder in the country who hates Republicans more than Chris Sununu does. At one point a few years ago, he complained that there were just too many whites in New Hampshire. Sununu has far more in common with Joe Biden than he does with the residents of, say, Coas County. Listen to Chris Sununu explain how Nikki Haley is the natural leader of conservative Republicans because she's got her bony finger directly on their pulse. When you put all that, that package together of experience, uh, the fact that she is the wife of a combat veteran, the fact right. that she's a mom, the fact that she brings some humanity to a lot of these very tough issues, and most importantly, again, it's not a big government solution out of Washington that we're promised. She looks at every issue through the eyes of the voters, through the electorate. She looks at the issues through the eyes. that are, She's channeling you. Because the thing about Nikki Haley is she's just totally real. She's America's most authentic person who somehow wound up in this phony business of politics, probably against her will. She's doing it for your sake. But Nikki Haley knows what Republican voters care about because she feels it deeply in her soul. It's reflexive. She leads from her gut. She sees the world through your eyes. Nikki Haley is not a bloodthirsty, power-mad feminist robot who takes millions in cash payoffs from the people who make weapons of mass destruction in exchange for promoting their wars. Oh, no, not at all. Nikki Haley is one of us. We can trust her. Okay, Chris Sununu, you seem like an honest guy. We believe you. That, my friends, is the best of Tucker Carlson. You never wonder where he is in his thinking. Now... You may not even care about my opinion right now. 
but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I don't trust her. She's been so wishy-washy in her life. She has always been a conservative. That was her spot, a Republican in South Carolina. She's from South Carolina. That's her home state, so she fit right in. Many people, this guy being one of them, I wondered why she so hastily left the governorship in South Carolina. She served several terms, but she couldn't wait to get out of Dodge. And she just jumped on the opportunity when Donald Trump was president. He needed to name an ambassador to the United Nations, and he picked her. Obviously, it was for political purposes, but she's always lived in the world of very steep and stark back and forths. She'll say things and do things, not really big things I'm talking about, but political things. And you just kind of go, what? What is she doing that for? What is that about? And she speaks, and this is probably the number one issue I have with Nikki Haley. The Bible says we speak the abundance of our heart is what we speak. And she is a very, she's a machine gun talker, no question about it. I don't know how she could possibly think about the things she's saying when she's on the political warfare path because she machine guns every time she talks. So when I hear her speak, I listen to what she says. I try hard because I want to know what her heart is really saying about this stuff. And I come away with where I am, and I don't want to. I don't want to upset anybody, but I can't support her. I can't support her. This is one more reason why I hope Donald Trump gets through the weeds and all of the horror shows that are out there, and all of the illegal activity that he's being charged with. I hope he can wade through that because if he doesn't. I don't know who I would vote for. Literally, it would be the lesser of evils if she, if she is the one that wins the nomination of the Republican Party. I'm just saying, there's something there that I don't trust. Oh, well, my opinion. You've got one. We all do. That's okay. Let's move on with Monday. We're going to go to break, but Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire U.S. Senator, very powerful U.S. Senator, she said something yesterday that blows my mind. You're not going to believe this. And once again, I'm going to let you hear it for yourself right after this. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. 
the guest bedroom slash music studio, the daybed slash dog bed, the living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Saying it out loud. No spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. Senator Maggie Hassan. She's a Democrat from New Hampshire. And that's where they all are right now with the New Hampshire primary coming up tomorrow. So she weighed in yesterday. She was on Sunday's NBC's Meet the Press. And she said some very, very uh, I don't even, abrasive, I think is the only thing I can say. She on Meet the Press said that all of the Republican candidates for president were committed to undermining our democracy and ignoring the rule of law. Now, this is a U.S. senator. Yeah, she's a Democrat. But that's pretty, pretty way out there. So the anchor at NBC, Kristen Welker, said this. Let me ask you about the stakes of the New Hampshire primary. If Trump wins on Tuesday night, is the primary effectively over? Will the general election have begun in your eyes? The senator said this. Look, Trump is very likely to win the nomination from everything we're seeing. But I think people need to be really clear here. Regardless of which Republican wins the nomination whether it's Haley, DeSantis, or Trump, they are all committed to rolling this country backward to undermining democracy. And she wasn't through. She added this. So you look at President Trump, who advocates violence. He just did it in New Hampshire, in Claremont a few weeks ago, calling opponents vermin, advocating violence. He encouraged violence on January 6th. He's an election denier. He brags about the appointing the Supreme Court justices who have rolled back critical rights for America's women. And yet, Nikki Haley says she's voting for him. Ron DeSantis says he's voting for him. So what we have is a group of Republicans who are all aligned with Donald Trump, would all undermine our democracy and ignore the rule of law. This is a major member of the senior division of the United States Congress, a senator. Now, I know she doesn't represent everybody. She represents the people of New Hampshire, and they put her up there. She just jumped off into something that has frosted me, and I am not going to stop pointing this out. These people that scream that any individual candidate for anything 
is going to destroy our democracy. We don't have a democracy. We were never created, operating in, and still today aren't, a democracy. Our government was created and still exists as a representative republic. A democracy mandates its structure. Every part of it is built upon this one premise. Every citizen has to vote on every issue. And when the votes are tallied, the majority of the people that voted for whatever issue, whatever candidate it is, that is the final, and that's supposed to be what rules law in a democracy. You see where I'm going. You see where Maggie Hassan is going. They would love, their very cry from their hearts is to change this nation to a pure democracy. That is the only setting in which one political party can control everything about this nation without any input or even consideration of people in the minority. Have you heard anybody out there crying about, we've got to get rid, we've got to get rid of this electoral college. It's taking the vote choices away from Americans. Hillary Clinton preached it, preached it. She still is preaching it. In the Senate, the only real safeguard in the Senate to stop a democracy to control everything, they have one element that keeps the minority from getting just shut down and getting pushed away. They talk about wanting to get rid of it. Do away with it so that when they vote in the Senate, they just take a vote. Majority in the Senate loses, wins. The minority loses every time. It's a filibuster. That's the only key left for when you've got Republicans in control. That's the only key for Democrats to be able to get up and have a voice and do something to maybe hold it off, change people's mind. The filibuster. It's used, sadly, it's used to get somebody to stand up and speak for hours to control the goings-on, the agendas in the Senate because they don't want their particular ideology to be rejected. If they do away with the dissenting voices, whoever they are, the government at the time, we don't have a government. What we have is a group of people up there that are bowing to each other or whoever they solely choose to run our nation. If we do away with the Electoral College, we don't really need Congress. We really don't. Because those are the people that would have elected the person that is in charge, the U.S. president, And so one person could be anointed and just control everything. So why do they keep saying this about Donald Trump and now Maggie Hassan about Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley? 
All Republicans. That's what they want to do. Democrats are the ones that are preaching it throughout political history. The Democrat Party, since its inception, has always taken that stance against any conservative people that are in government with them. They want more power for the government. And they're simply, they're coming up because democracy, we have a democratic government, but it's not a pure democracy. Democracy defers and bows to the representatives who represent the American people. It keeps our government from making all the rules, controlling everything, operating everything, solely with no input of the people. That's why our forefathers knew this would happen. They came here from Europe where the democracy wasn't in existence. Oh, they, these, some of these rulers, they claim they had a democracy and the people had a voice, but they had the last word. They controlled everything. That's what Maggie Hassan is calling Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis. And they're the furthest thing away from that. But it scares people. If people don't understand what a democracy is and that the United States of America is not a pure democracy, never has been, it's always been a pure representation of every American, not just whatever political party has the most people that vote for them. They want to do away with our government of the people, by the people, and for the people. They want it to be government, 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 controlling everything. That's the definition of authoritarianism. That one just blew my mind away. Steve Baker, as you know, here's every Tuesday, and uh, we put up a story. It was actually a, uh, a news release by his fleet of attorneys It was a letter that they sent today to the Department of Justice. And they're putting the Department of Justice on notice if they follow the DOJ, follows through with this witch hunt against Steve Baker. They're going all in. Steve, last week, you saw the the story on truthnewsnet.org. You heard our conversation on this show last Tuesday. He uncovered some more lies from people in government in testimony in some of these January 6th trials that have gone on, also in front of Congress. And another one came up regarding the supposed pipe bomb on that day, January 6th, that they found at the DNC, the Democrat National Committee headquarters. And what they said was lies. Steve has actual video that proves that's not what happened, what they say happened. But what they did, they wanted us to put it out to our world of you guys so that you can know what's going on out there. And we had to wait till 9 o'clock a.m. Central Time for it to go live at truthnewsnet.org. So it's up now. Wanted to make sure if you're normally getting those early morning stories We did put one up just to give you notice that today's story was important, but it would go live at 9 a.m. and they would get another email that said that. So there you go. Something else came out, and while we're talking about the January 6th thing, 
Listen to this. It's a bombshell new report. It alleges that just days before the Republicans took over the House majority in 2022, over 100 encrypted files relating to the January 6th Capitol riot probe just mysteriously deleted. In a new interview with Fox News, the chairman of the House Administration Committee's Oversight Committee, Rep. Barry Loudermilk of Georgia, he described this revelation as bringing the investigation into a new phase. Loudermilk alleges that a forensics team found that 117 files had been either deleted or encrypted on January 1st of 2023, shortly before the Republicans took over the investigation. That had previously been led by Representative Benny Thompson, Democrat of South Carolina, and Rep. Liz Cheney, a Republican, so-called Republican, or rhino, which stands for Republican in name only, Liz Cheney. The congressman, Loudermilk, is demanding that Democrats hand over the passwords. The files have since been recovered. The files are believed to contain interviews and depositions that could prove crucial to the case. And I wonder what they would say about whoever they are about and why would Democrats want to cover that up? Loudermilk said, it's obvious they went to great lengths to prevent Americans from seeing certain documents produced in their investigation. It also appears that Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney intended to obstruct our subcommittee by failing to preserve critical information and videos as required by House rules. That all makes sense, doesn't it? The former state senator said the investigation into what really happened that day is growing thanks to the support of new House Speaker Mike Johnson, who is pouring more taxpayer dollars into the probe. The Speaker has committed whatever resources we need to move forward and has basically tripled the size of our staff. Now, it was not an insurrection. Let's get rid of that word out of January 6th. It wasn't. An insurrection would mean military action, rioting, violent rioting, uh, rioting with people getting beat up and killed. You could call it a riot, but not an insurrection. All of these people that were caught into that, the uproar that happened, that made a, a bad choice when the Capitol Police, many of them, moved the barriers. We've got video of two of them moving barriers and waving Americans that were there that day up the steps and into the Capitol. All that stuff happened. It happened. And it was purposefully done. The book is still out. The final evidence is not there. And what the left are demanding is to shut down any further investigations. That's one reason why they put out last week after the story that was published by Steve Baker that revealed the FBI, the DOJ, the Democrat Party had lied about that pipe bomb incident and he had video uncovered video evidence that proved exactly opposite of what they've been saying for four years now almost. 
So that riot, which began after Donald Trump called on his supporters to go down to the Capitol and express their position on the day, January 6th, where lawmakers went in to confirm the elections. We're investigating what really happened on J6 and how were these people, whoever they were, how were they able to get into the Capitol? What was the security failure? That is the 900-pound gorilla in the room. What went on regarding the security failure that day? Because the American people have a right to know what happened. Loudermilk says the number one goal is to get the truth out there and give the American people the ability to make their own determination of this with facts, not with preconceived ideas or predetermined narratives, but just the facts of what happened. He accused Democratic investigators into the riot as trying to prove something they wanted to be the truth. He went on to say that liberals cherry-picked evidence and omitted things that contradicted their narrative. Look, I'm not here to vindicate anyone, but we want the truth to prevail. And quite honestly, folks, that's exactly what we all want. Give us the facts. And when we find one fact wasn't truthful, and then a second, then a third, then a fourth, then what do we do as the American people? We begin to believe, hey, there's something very unscrupulous in this, and we demand. They open up everything. It belongs to us, we the people, not to them. It doesn't belong to any political party or even any member of Congress. You're just one person in the millions of Americans that constitute we the people. You guys just get to it. Do the right thing. Give us what proves what happened on January 6th. And they have it. Moving on to some other crazy thing. The U.S. military, they tell us overnight, it's ended its search for two Navy SEALs after they went missing during a mission in the Arabian Sea to interdict Iranian weapons headed for Yemen. Wow. U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM, said this, We regret to announce that after a 10-day exhaustive search, our two missing U.S. Navy SEALs have not been located and their status has been changed to deceased. The search and rescue operation for the two Navy SEALs reported missing during the boarding of an illicit uh, ship carrying an Iranian advanced conventional weapons on January 11th concluded. We're now conducting recovery operations. That's what it said. And, of course, they expressed their, their concerns for the families. We mourn the loss of our two Navy Special Warfare Warriors will forever honor their sacrifice and example. According to the Associated Press, the SEALs were part of a raid on an unflagged ship carrying illicit Iranian-made weapons to the Houthi rebels in Yemen. Officials said that one of the SEALs had fallen into the sea during boarding. Another SEAL went in after him trying to save him. The pair began their mission with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was still in the hospital being treated for complications from surgery for prostate cancer. They had bordered from small special operations combat craft launched from the USS Lewis Puller, a mobile sea base. 
They were supported by drones and helicopters. Why this story? We'll never know the truth about what happened in this story either. And it just bugs me that the Secretary of Defense had hid the fact that he was in the hospital and even his number two person running our military did not know he was in the hospital. All of this happened. Can you imagine what might have happened? What if all of a sudden some rogue general in Russia got mad at Vladimir Putin and knew the process about launching nukes against the U.S. out of Russia? And this guy goes out and starts lobbying ICBMs our way. Oh, we'll know about it. We'll know about it instantly when the missiles are activated, even before they come out of the ground or water, wherever they're stationed, headed our way. We'll know. But we wouldn't have had a U.S. secretary of our defense. That would be the one that would immediately get with the president of the United States who has, in that certain circumstance, is the only person that can release any defensive weapons to stop those ICBMs. From Russia, we have 13 minutes. That's just like the Biden administration. Democrats don't say anything negative about it. Let me tell you what's coming up in just a few minutes. Um, there are really big concerns growing ever and have justification for what's happening down at our southern border. I'm going to let you listen to two different versions, both from members of Congress, talking about what's going on down at the southern border. You do not want to miss this. Dan Goldman, Representative Dan Goldman, he just exposes the underbelly in this hearing with these witnesses, the underbelly of not just our Department of Homeland Security and Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, but of Joe Biden and the entire government that Biden runs. We'll do that next. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. 
I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Are puppies okay? Is a shooting star okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh, okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride, okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's okay! Okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Okay! Like little John. I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. Before we head down to our southern border, do you know who Representative Jamal Bowman is? He's uh, the latest member of the so-called squad in the House of Representatives. He proposed Friday a $14 trillion reparations plan. $14 trillion. A plan for reparations. For who? For the enslavement of Africans and its lasting harm on the lives of millions of black people in the U.S., The congressman called on the federal government to foot the bill, naturally, arguing that there is a way to pay for it without raising taxes on anyone. (laughs) Without raising taxes on anyone. And the federal government, he said, is going to pay for it. $14 trillion. Where does the federal government get that kind of money, and who's on the hook to pay it back? You, You would think that a member of the House of Representatives would know those things. And he explained, he said, when COVID was destroying us, we invested in the American people in a way that kept the economy afloat. He's talking to the Journal News in an interview published last week. The government can invest the same way in reparations without raising taxes on anyone. So where did the money come from, he asked? We spin it into existence. Oh, my God. Now, he's not by himself. Bowman is among nine sponsors in support of H.R. 414. That's a resolution introduced by Representative Cori Bush, Democrat from Missouri, and she's another compadre of the squad. And it was introduced in May of 2023. It's been sitting in limbo since then, I guess. Anyway, the bill says the U.S. has a moral and legal obligation to provide reparations for the enslavement of Africans and its lasting harm on the lives of millions of black people in the United States. His proposal and Cori Bush together, I guess, it stretches beyond slavery to also cover restitution for more government policies that disenfranchise black Americans, including banking, consumer, housing, health, education, and employment discrimination. H.R. 414, it also addresses 
our nation's failure to keep black people safe from or actively sanctioning white domestic terrorism and failing to prosecute it when it occurred, as well as the impacts of government-imposed segregation. Also in the bill, this, this just gets hilarious the more you find out what's in it. The bill states that financial reparations must be paid by the federal government for an amount that respected economists have estimated totals at minimum $14 trillion to eliminate the racial wealth gap that currently exists between black and white Americans. The resolution, and and I could stop here and we could go on for all day, but I'm not. I'm going to stick to this. This uh, resolution also includes an estimate from scholars that found scholars. I wonder who picked which scholar would weigh in here and be quoted. Scholars that found that the U.S. benefited from 222,505 hours, 505,000. And 49 hours of forced labor between 1619 and the end of slavery in 1865. This is this is real, folks. These are people. These people number among the 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives. And I want to know who was the scholar that found out that the U.S. benefited from. 222,505,049 hours of forced labor between, by the way, 1619 and the end of slavery in 1865. They're, that's, they're being paid by taxpayers, and that's what they're doing. To put that $14 trillion price tag into perspective, the federal government spent only $6.13 trillion in the fiscal year of 2022. The Journal News calculated that each black American could get more than $300,000 from the proposed plan. How did they come up with that? Well, there are about 42 million African Americans in the U.S. representing 12% of our population. That's according to the 2020 census. That means the proposed reparations program could deliver roughly 333000 per person. And he said it could be paid over decades. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Representative. Who says the $14 trillion needs to be paid out in one shot? It might be possible to be paid out over 5, 10, or 20 years. You could take that 333000 and break it up into monthly checks over... X amount of time. There are creative ways to do the right thing and do what needs to be done. I'm telling you, these people, they have already found a way to get to Mars and they're living up there sending messages back every day. I'll say this one last time. My relatives were indentured servants and came over here, which, you know what that really means? An indentured servant back then was a white slave. They cut a deal with some big money person in Europe, and that person said, if you'll work for me, we'll fund your trip to the new 
land or the United States of America. And when you get there, we'll provide you housing and food. But you're going to work for us for so many years, and at the end of that so many years, your obligation to us is over. Now, what does that mean? Why are you bringing that up? Nobody in my family had slaves. There were several of them that were close to slaves. The only thing different was the skin color. Just think about the conundrum that would go on and the chaos that would go on if Congress would ever take this up and, my God forbid, it would ever be passed in either House of Congress. But yet, these lawmakers, they're they're sold out to it. Somebody owes me something. I'm going to demand. I'm going to do what I can do to make sure they take care of me instead of doing what his voters ask him to do. Now, I don't know that. I said that as it came out my mouth. I said, maybe his voters told him they wanted him to do that. That's okay. Everybody has a right to think whatever they want, but just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. I tell you that all the time. And the flip side, just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean that it's wrong. But if you lay the facts out, the facts, not this dream, uh, what did they call it? Resolution. It wasn't even a bill. A resolution. It's got to figure out. (laughs) And the the federal government, Representative Bowman said, the federal government paid for it, for all the COVID stuff. The federal government did. Well, there is no money from the federal government unless somebody puts it in. Who are the people that put it in and continue to put it in? The American taxpayers. Well, they go borrow money. Yeah, but who's on the hook for the borrowed money? The taxpayers. Every American. So you would have to somehow come up with the reality, legal reality of the obligation that somebody themselves would have. And by the way, I don't owe a nickel for anything anybody above me did. My parents are both dead. My grandparents on both sides are dead. Those people, (laughs) they can't be obligated. I can't be obligated. You can't be obligated. This stuff just doesn't make sense. And every once in a while, some idiotic lawmaker comes up with something like this, and we can't ignore it. There are people out there that hear this and they don't hear an explanation, a real explanation. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, well, sure. Everybody would like the federal government just to write them a $333,000 check with no obligations just because you were black and there were black people that were slaves. There were a lot of white people that were literally slaves. Nobody wants to talk about that. You think they include those people? And their reparations plan? (laughs) Okay, enough of that. I told you we had Representative Dan Goldman from Connecticut. And he's a trust fund baby. And he's a lawyer. You put those two together and literally you pray that uh, something might happen to keep him from being in public and speaking because he is a hardcore leftist and one of those uppity leftists that know everything about everything and their positions, if they believe them, 
You can't say otherwise. Nothing's going to change their decisions. So we have this war going on at our southern border, and the American people have finally awakened, finally awakened, and realized we're in deep doo-doo about all this. We got to get something done. We have to get something done. And so last year, the Republican House of Representatives presented a plan, it's H.R. 4, that would be the entire budget as projected every year, the money and the expenses that are authorized in our U.S. budget, constitutional requires it. And so in doing so, H.R. 4 was a big piece of what that was going to be. Democrats wouldn't even talk about it, let alone put it on the floor for debates. However, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, even with the Democrat minority being really, really close, making the Republican minority in the House very slim, they passed H.R. 1. The Senate has never even bothered to take it up. It was going to resolve, number one, many other things, but number one, our flood of illegal aliens coming in from our southern border. It would also do things that would allow the U.S. military to get involved and at the southern border stop the importation of fentanyl, stop child trafficking, sex trafficking, gun trafficking, stop all of that at our southern border. Well, the Democrats say no, absolutely no. So what are we going to do? Well, of course, the answer for every Democrat, for everything out there, is give us more money. Give us more money. And when they get a camera in front of their faces and start talking about these evil Republicans won't give us more money, they never talk about the facts. They try to paint that picture that Joe Biden and all the Democrats in government have every night when they go to bed a dream that they can just do anything that they want and the American people are obligated to listen and just do it, whatever it is. So by God, the answer to our southern border is more money, more money. So Goldman has a couple of people before him in a committee hearing last week about what's going on with the southern border and our need to add or add some more border agents. Listen to this. One thing that gets confused a lot uh, when we have these, these hearings is that there are allegations um, that Democrats and President Biden uh, don't want to secure the border, want open borders. In fact, some have, my friends on the other side of the aisle have said that, in fa- that they are trying to facilitate the fentanyl trade uh, and fentanyl from coming into the country. But the irony, and, and my colleague from Texas, Mr. Fallon, said this at the end of his five minutes, is he questions whether or not uh, the Biden administration is serious about addressing the problems at the border. Well, it's quite ironic because right now, this very day and for the last five weeks, the Biden administration, the White House, and Secretary Mayorkas have been negotiating with a bipartisan group of senators to actually address the problems at the border. But you know who hasn't been involved in that? House Republicans. 
And instead, what they are doing, as you just heard from Ms. Green, is trying to impeach Secretary Mayorkas for his failure to address the border while he is negotiating to address the border. And then, even if there is a bipartisan agreement in the Senate, the Republican leadership in the House has already determined that it is dead on arrival. They haven't seen the agreement, but they just know that it's dead on arrival. Does that, Mr. Beer, sound to you like someone or some party or some group of people who are trying to address the problems at the border? Look, this administration has been trying from day one to get attention of Congress to try to pass immigration legislation, and they've gotten no takers. Because, am I correct, Mr. Beer, that the fundamental core problems that uh, cause the, uh, some of the issues at the border require legislative fixes? They cannot be done through solely executive action, is that correct? Absolutely. They, they need new authorities to deal with the legal immigration system in particular. Now, Mr. Edlow, I know you, you ran uh, USCIS, um, and you've testified about how the uh, backlog of asylum applications is, is a significant problem um, because it incentivizes uh, even those who may not qualify to try to come here because they would be able to stay for years. Is that a, a fair assessment of the concern about the backlog of the asylum applicants? That was not what I was saying about the affirmative asylum applicants, but as far as defense of people coming across, yes, they get, they get to come in. They'll eventually get work authorization. Actually, under some of these regulations, they get it very quickly. Well, but regardless of, of when they get it, they apply for asylum, and it takes years, right? And so you, you would agree with me that fewer than 50% of asylum applicants are granted asylum when their case is finally heard. Is that right? It, it, again, I'm, I'm not sure. Are we talking about the people coming in from the border, or are you talking about total? Because those are different numbers. Well, I'm talking about the total. But the point is, is that there's a backlog. And as the head of USCIS, do you think that 1,600 more asylum officers to process asylum applications would help to reduce the backlog and therefore uh, not incentivize more people to come? If those officers were going to be placed for affirmative asylum applications for people who have been in the pipeline for a number of years, yes. However, Great. that is because not you know what, what was in the President Biden's supplemental $755 million for USCIS to hire 1,600 asylum officers to go through the backlog. Now, Mr. Homan, do you think that it would be helpful to hire additional CBP officers, Border Patrol agents, or border processing coordinators so Border Patrol agents can do their job and try to secure the border and fight drug trafficking and human trafficking coming over the border. Would those additional officers have helped you when you were heading that department? Hiring more officers to process more quickly, release more quickly. I'm not asking about people. I'm not asking about what I asked. I asked separately about CBP officers, HSI officers, Border Patrol agents, security enforcement officers. Would that help to secure the border? If you this is not a resource issue. It's a policy issue. I, I, that's not my question. My question is, would it be helpful? Would it be helpful? The of course, answer, of course, of course having more border is always helpful. Exactly. And yet, 
This Republican Party does not want to add $4.46 billion that was in the President's supplemental appropriations request to go to the Customs and Border Protection to fight the fentanyl trade, to fight human trafficking, to try to take away the American-made guns from the cartels who control both, and this just, Republican just Party will We're, we're going to have a hard time here because we are going to. He pontificates every time. That's Dan Goldman. Representative uh, Democrat, obviously, from uh, Connecticut. And if the people that are in front of him, when he asks a question, if they want to speak about from their perspective, and these are the people that were on the ground. That last guy that he refused to let talk was Tom Homan, one of the greatest, best, long-time-serving person in our southern border, making sure that Customs and Border Patrol and ICE had all the resources that they needed. He knows more about that than every member of Congress put together. And, of course, Representative Goldman doesn't want to let him answer because he tries to answer with the facts. Now, we're not done yet. I'm going to let you hear who the real, real, explanationer is about what's going on at the southern border. This is a congressperson, a woman, and I wanted you to hear what she said is the answer to the border crisis. And she lays it out there in a very dramatic and demonstrative fashion. And she doesn't circle the issues she goes right for the juggler vein. Well, for five minutes. For months now, we have been hearing these staggering statistics about the catastrophe at our southern border, the millions of migrants coming across our border illegally, the human trafficking, the fentanyl, the lost unaccompanied minors. But today we hear something that is even more important than that. Today we hear the real personal stories of unfathomable loss and irreplaceable lives. And yet, even in the face of this testimony that we have heard today and the testimony that came before it, our colleagues across the aisle impugn the purpose and the necessity of this hearing, calling it a political sham, calling it a stunt, calling it theater. And they suggest that what we actually need to do is pass more laws. So as a former federal prosecutor and judge, I'll start today with a refresher on a few of the things that are currently illegal in the United States of America. It is illegal to traffic fentanyl in the United States of America. Human trafficking is illegal in this country. Theft is illegal in this country. Rape and murder are illegal in this country. What's more, the Department of Homeland Security has an absolute obligation to detain and remove those who enter this country illegally. We do not need more laws. We need a President of the United States and a Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security who enforce the laws of this country. But what do we have instead? An administration that has deliberately subverted the duly enacted laws of the United States of America that have deliberately defied the orders of courts in this United States of America who have ordered and directed that they desist, they desist these unlawful 
policies. We have a Department of Homeland Security that has defied inquiries from the United States Congress. And as for the 27 appearances of Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas in front of this Congress, not one of those times did he admit that we have lost operational control of our border, that we have ceded control of our border to the Mexican drug cartels, or acknowledge the scope, scale, and crisis that our communities all across America face as a consequence, as a direct consequence of these lawless policies. Every single time an individual is allowed to enter this country unlawfully, Americans are less safe. Ms. Nobles, Mrs. Dunn, as a mother, I see my child and my family in those photos that you shared with us today. And it is truly something that we cannot fathom, the loss that you have each suffered. I thank you for your willingness to come here today and share with us your stories. I would like to hear your perspective, please, on what more Congress could be doing to support you and to try to prevent this type of unspeakable tragedy from happening in the lives of another family. We'll start with you, Ms. Nobles. I would like to see every um, illegal immigrant who wants to come here to be properly vetted and background checked. I hear a lot about more funding resources and all that. How is that going to help them do their job in the first place? They failed Kayla by not checking her murderer's background and did not make that one phone call. One, one phone call could have saved my baby's life. They didn't. And after he was arrested, they put him, um, Child Protective Services took him and put him in an unsecured children's home with other children. And I know Americans commit crimes on other Americans, but why do we have to take other countries' trash? Why do we need them? Ms. Dunn? We, we talked about a lot today um, about more resources at the border. And, and I appreciate that, and I respect that. But I don't think that members in this room and other rooms at the Capitol understand that we are actually at war. And we're at war with the cartels. We're, we're losing our children. We're losing a generation of children. We're at war. We need our military at the border. That's what we need. We don't need more border patrol. We need our military at the border stopping the drugs, stopping people from coming in. They can't come in. We're full. We're closed. That's it. No more money. No more. No more sandwiches. It's closed. I'm sorry. Come through the proper challenge channels. I am a first-generation American. My parents both migrated here. Guess what? They did it legally. What a difference in testimony. And that lawmaker, Laura Lee, she hit the nail on the head every word she said. And Dan 
Dan Goldman, he just avoided any responsibility. He has no purpose, no desire, nor will ever put any guilt on anybody that has a D as their political party or anybody that's in this administration for what they're doing. Their fix for everything is give us more money, give us more money. We just heard a story a few minutes ago about African-Americans getting reparations, trillions of dollars, reparations for slavery. There's not a person alive today that was a slave here. Nobody was that's alive today. Was it a horrible situation to live through? Absolutely atrocious. We fought a war over it. Africans were submitted to some of the most horrible experiences of any society that's ever been on earth. I recognize that. But you know what? We fought a war and we freed slavery. And I think everybody needs to realize there were 600,000 men that gave their lives in the Civil War. And you know what? 300,000 of them were white. These issues that we're talking about, that we're living in today, we're not living in slavery today, but if you look at all these other contentious things, there are people attached and involved in all of them from top to bottom. Evil can't go out on its own and do anything. Any kind of bedlam, any kind of atrocious acts against people, it can't do it. It has to do it through people. The Civil War, slavery, happened because of what people had adopted that was going to be okay and right for them to do. And so they did it. People are evil. That's why our government officials, even though they, many of, were slave owners, they still, at that time, felt like it was okay. They grew up that way. All of them did in Europe. You and I both know that wasn't right. We can't accept that. And so what do you do? You change things. If you want to change the structure of a nation, you change what it takes within the nation. You change it to make it better. And you don't have to point fingers at somebody that disagrees with you about it. But you've got to face facts. And the facts are, as Laurel Lee Saint uh, stated so precisely living in horror sh- stories like those two women that she was there. They lost loved ones because the administration will not stop illegals from coming here. And listen, you don't have to hate immigrants. In fact, you don't need to, and we're not supposed to. But also, Those people that cry for our votes every four years, they need, because they made commitments to, and it's constitutional, and it's legal. Lost my mic there for a second, I'm sorry. They're the ones that must, they craft the laws. They've got to make sure those laws or enforced the presidency. The U.S. president is over that part of our government. Congress creates the laws. 
and then the administration, the executive branch, is to make sure the laws are enforced. This president, he refuses to. In fact, he does the exact opposite. He, in his policies, with his pen, I don't know how many executive orders he signed that should have never happened. Many of them have been overturned by the courts, and he knows that's going to happen when he does it. And he brags about this. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I know it'll probably get overturned, but that will take several years. And so while we're waiting in the courts, we'll get most of what we wanted to get done with that executive order done, even though it'll it'll be proven later to be illegal. We'll get a bunch in the waiting. That's the leadership in this nation. That's where they think. We literally today have a war on our southern border, and Americans are dying. Honestly, the part of this that bothers me the most is the kids. We know of 80,000 kids, unaccompanied minors, that came across the border during the Biden administration that were turned over to supposedly non-government organizations that are funded by you and I, the taxpayers. You and I don't have a say-so in who or what or even the fact that we're doing that. That's determined by the President of the United States and every one of those kids, we don't know where they are. Yeah, we do. We just don't want to talk about it. Democrats don't want to talk about it. Sex slavery, overseas child slavery, child labor, And because they lost the records, that sound familiar? For where these kids were placed, they haven't followed up on them. And then when they were forced to, in many cases, they don't have any clue where those kids are. Nobody talks about that on the left. This whole thing, this entire debacle that we're living in now could change with one sentence, one sentence by the President of the United States. And it's sad to say what that one sentence is. Start enforcing every immigration law. Who has to say that? Joe Biden. The laws are already there that do that. Every one of them. Can it be fixed that quickly and easily? We saw a huge section of our problem eliminated in three, just three, of Donald Trump's years as president. And you know how he did it? He said exactly what I just said, that one sentence. Start enforcing every federal immigration law, period. You don't like the laws? Don't come to Congress like we just heard that lawmaker do, Dan Goldman, and scream and cry for more money. you got to give us more money. We've got to hire 16,000 new border agents. You know what? You wouldn't need to hire a single new one if you enforced the law. Those people wouldn't be here. They would have been turned away at our southern border. All the fentanyl poisonings, 100,000 a year of American people have died from fentanyl poison in all of Joe Biden's three years. 100,000 a year. None of that would have happened. Where is America? Where are we in our thinking? There are people that actually enforce, believe in enforcing 
and trying some way to keep Donald Trump out of office so that Joe Biden can keep doing what he's doing in every area. Does that sound reasonable to you in any way? I mean, I'd be okay. And you know what? Every president that is elected, every single one, I've had many of my 70 years since I became cognizant about elections and government and stuff, many of them. I didn't like, I didn't want them in office and I didn't like them after they got there. But you know what? My dad and mom taught me a long time ago. Jesus said to pray for them that are in the power of authority over you. And I do that. I do that for Joe Biden. I don't want him to do bad work. I don't want him to fail as president. I want him, even though we have policy differences, I want him to do what's best for the American people. And he knows what he's doing is not. It's all about politicization. And I hate to say it, but in that process, politicization, the American people are way, way, way down the pecking order on what's important in those regards to this government. We've got to make the changes, the right changes, and as quick as possible, we've got them. We got to make them and get them in place. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? When you choose a great-tasting Miller Lite, you're choosing on taste. And that's the right choice, not the wrong choice, because right is way better than wrong. You don't try to do the wrong thing. Wrong on, brother? Back off, and I don't even know you. If someone asks you if everything's all wrong, ask them to pull your finger. Ever read the Bill of Wrongs? It was written by James Battison and John Saddams. Drawing a wrong triangle? Place this protractor at 90 degrees and sit on it. What's wrong around the corner? An 8-foot ex-con named Tiny, and he wants your wallet. That's wrong up your alley, just like the drifter feeding moldy muffin stumps to his 13 hairless cats. Got a wrong hand man? I've got a cousin named Randall with clammy hands. The customer's always wrong? Well, that explains the waiter's creepy grin as I ate my toast. Two wrongs do make a wrong. Am I wrong? Wrong. So don't make the wrong choice. Make the right choice and choose on taste. Triple hops brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer, great responsibility.
my text messages <laughs> just got slaughtered. I mean, you guys are angry. You're angry about this war we have at our southern border and how unnecessary it is and how we've got to do something about it. I appreciate it. If you want to share your comments, feel free to do so. Wow. Hey, let's go to Egypt. Nah, we'll go to, um, let's go to Israel for just a few minutes. Hamas has finally come out and is talking about what they instigated in that uh, rampage on October 7th, killing 1,200, at least 1,200 Jews in the small early hours of the morning, overnight. Jews in bed got slaughtered. The Hamas terrorist organization, they released a report yesterday about its attack on January 7th. They are claiming its fighters were committed to, quote, Islamic values. And if civilians were targeted, they say, it happened accidentally in the course of their murderous rampage. So this is the first public report on the killing spree that Hamas has given anybody. And Hamas said the incursion referred to as Operation Al-Aqsa Flood was a necessary step against Israel's alleged occupation of Palestinian territories and a way to secure release of Palestinian prisoners. The 16-page report admitted some faults happened and claimed its terror operatives were committed to Islamic values, but then they quickly proceeded to allege the rapid collapse of the Israeli security and military system and the chaos caused along the border areas was to blame for the high civilian casualty list. Of course, this is lunacy, but this is what they're saying. The war began when terrorists attacked Israelis and foreigners at the Supernova Music Festival, where 260 people were murdered and later in the streets and in their homes. This resulted in the deaths of just under 1,200 people, mostly civilians, based on official Israeli numbers. Some 360 people were mowed down at the music festival. Think about that. You go to a music festival, an outdoor festival, and they had parachute terrorists parachuting into, actually they were those gliders, coming into above that music festival and were killing people from the air. Look at these young women. Look at what Hamas has done to them. Look at the terror in their eyes. We must bring each and every one of them home. How? That was just one example of the tweets that went out that day. All of the above has been documented, every bit of it, through extensive footage of the systematic targeting of civilians jubilantly shared and celebrated celebrated by Hamas itself as seen through captured helmet cam footage above that music festival, watching each other mow down these people innocents there. Volunteers who worked on identifying victims spoke of horrific injuries to women's bodies, including women whose pelvises had been broken, women who had been shot in the breast and vagina. Many had been shot in the face to mutilate them. And there's abundant 
video evidence that proves all of that. I've seen a bunch of it, and it's nauseating to watch. And Hamas's story is crap, nothing but crap. They seized about 250 hostages during those attacks. Israel says about 132 remain in Gaza. The Hamas report, published in both English and Arabic, it dismissed the overwhelming evidence of its murderous rampage as complete lies and fabrication. Avoiding harm to civilians, especially children, women, and the elderly people is a religious and moral commitment by the Al-Qassam Brigade's fighters, the report claimed. It further pleaded that the Palestinian terrorists were keen to avoid harming civilians, despite the fact that the resistance does not possess precise weapons. And they weren't through. In addition, if there was any case of targeting of civilians, it happened accidentally and in the course of the confrontation with the occupation forces, it added. Even though much of the documented targeting of civilians happened with no Israeli troops in sight. International bodies, including the United Nations and the International Criminal Court, have launched investigations into possible crimes against humanity committed by Hamas on that day, October 7th, giving credence to the severity of the terror group's widely documented atrocities. You know, we're not hearing much about what's going on over there. Let me just tell you from the inside, it's still going on. And Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, it appears that his declaration when all of this at the height of it was going on and he said he was being asked when are you going to stop and he made it very clear and he's repeated it abundantly through the past couple of months we will not stop until every member of Hamas is dead now let me just say this to those of you that and I'm one of, in, in many ways, I'm one of you. I can't in any way stand the slaughter of other individuals, period, for any reason, any basis. I abhor it. And I'm at, I've been asked again and again, and I'm kind of in a, in a tough spot here because I live in a town where there are a lot of Palestinians that live here. Very few people know that, but Shreveport, Bossier City, Louisiana, there are There are a couple of mosques, maybe three, in our two towns. That means there are Muslims there. And I know for a fact some of them are Palestinians. And they do a lot of good things in our our cities. So Palestinians are not bad people just because they're Palestinians. And I hate it because I can only imagine what happens to these peaceful Palestinians in here in northwest Louisiana and other places around the globe. So it's not comfortable to try to justify shooting people like they did, maiming people, and continuing to slaughter people. There's no way to justify that. So when I look at this stuff, I look at what they do. I pray for them, and I hope they find a way to get through their hatred for the Jewish people. But please understand, this is not a new thing. Throughout the entire life of the Israeli people, they have been oppressed and killed and run out of places. They didn't have a nation. They didn't have a bordered nation 
until 1949, throughout their history. And though many people, they get their own version of what is happening over there and has been, and they reconcile it because of past issues and wrongdoing. There's no question about that. But when somebody looks at you and they have just come through a time where they have indiscriminately slaughtered, unprovoked, slaughtered thousands of their people, Jewish people. That's bad enough. But when the leaders make it very clear the only ending for this they will accept is the total elimination of Jews and the Israel state. That's what Hamas has said over and over and over again. And their actions illustrate that very thing. So what is a prime minister of that country? This has been going on for generations, centuries. It's not anywhere close to being new. It's not new news. What is a prime minister of the nation that contains all these people that they have been slaughtering and their commitment is we're going to eliminate you from the earth. We're going to kill everybody that's a Jew. Sounds kind of familiar. We had one guy back in the uh, 40s that decided he was going to do the same thing, and he only killed 6 million Jewish people, Adolf Hitler. They've seen it happen before. So when you have another entity out there that's telling you the same thing and doing the same thing, don't you think it would be prudent to eliminate the person, the people that are only going to live their lives to kill every one of you? That's a hard thing to reconcile for most Jewish people. It is. And you can't, no matter how hard you try, and I hate this, but you can't eliminate evil. You can't. People make it up. They make choices. It's not genetic. It's not something you inherited from anybody. It's like racism. Racism is not biological. People that are racist have made a conscious choice to adopt that thought process. Same thing holds true for anti-Semitism. And we're living in America. We're not supposed to be. We hoped and we felt all these years this nation has been here, most people have felt like it would be wonderful if we could eliminate all that. You can change it. You can diminish it. But remember, as long as something that exists that's evil is existing because people determine and decide to let it, it will always be there. I don't have the right exact answers for the people of Israel or for the Palestinians. But I pray every day that God will intervene and protect those. Oh my gosh, we live in a screwed up world. Look at what Germany did. Do you realize they went all in on the Green New Deal? They were doing it before Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, freshman Democrat from New York, came up with the Green New Deal. Germany was doing it, had been doing it for years. And they've been, throughout the time that they have been in this quest, they have put all the rules down and all the laws and regulations that this administration has implemented now. And guess what's happening to German? 
Germany went all in on the green transition. Now their economy is crumbling. The country's aiming to have its energy supply and demand reach net zero emissions by 2050, relying on things like the Biden folks do, wind, solar, hydrogen fuels, and they're doing that after former Prime Minister Angela Merkel decided in 2011 to eventually shutter the country's nuclear power plant feet. Can you believe that? They just shut them down. Despite the German government's regulatory and spending blitz to usher everybody into this green transition, the country is not on track to meet its climate goals, but its decision to rely on intermittent green energy generation is contributing to an ongoing energy crisis that is crippling their economy. Hollowing out the economy is not benefiting the German people, nor is it helping climate change. Diana Roth, director of the Center for Energy, Climate, and Environmental at the Heritage Foundation, said that over the weekend. It's not reducing emissions because manufacturing is being shifted to other nations like China and India that use even dirtier energy. The German economy is going down, down, down. Their people do not have the jobs and economic opportunities that they used to. Sound a little familiar? And we have 8 million new people that are within our borders that aren't producing. They're, I'm sure some of them are illegally, but they're a drag on everything about the U.S. economy. I'm talking about all the illegals that the Biden administration has waved in. By the way, just as Germany did from all those about eight or nine years ago, from northern parts of Africa. Same thing happened. Germany closed the last of its nuclear power plants in April last year. Several months later, the German government announced that it would activate coal-fired power plants to ensure adequate supply through this winter. So you're going away from, you're demonizing, doing away with coal-fired power plants, and anything to do with hydrocarbon. We're getting rid of that nasty stuff. But then you find out it was a bad choice. And so we don't have we don't have nuclear energy anymore. We got to find something. So they go back and fire up that dirtiest of all the hydrocarbon energy sources, coal-fired power plants. The signs of Germany's economic and its withering are numerous. Perhaps most visible, the fact that it shrank in 2023 after growing by less than 2% in 2022. The country's facing the high borrowing costs and inflationary pressures that are dogging many of the West economies, including ours, but sticky energy inflation remains the number one factor in Germany's economic malaise, both for consumers and for corporations. This proves it. In the third quarter of last year, the German electricity sector generated 20% less power than it did in the same period the year before. On the demand side, Germany's 2023 energy consumption was about 8% lower than 2022's level, 25% lower than energy consumption in 1990. The country quit growing. 
The country's consumer price index for electricity is nearly 50% higher in December last month than it was in January of last year. Executives of industrial companies are warning that high energy costs are making their continued presence in Germany untenable, while many firms are beginning to move their operations out of Germany. People, that could be us. We're on the right road for that kind of horror show to play itself out on the world stage. We could be doing the exact same thing. Let's switch gears. I want to make sure I get a couple of these things in. We talked a little bit last week about Davos and the WHO and those sycophants. They were all, oh man, they were in all their glory in Davos, Switzerland last week. So while there, the WHO director, we talked about this, I think, on Friday, either Thursday or Friday, he's called on every country to sign a pandemic treaty to prepare us for disease X. And his justification for it is we shouldn't face things unprepared. Now, if you don't listen to anything else we talk about here today, you listen to this. This is critical. The WHO director is calling on countries to prepare for what they have deemed disease X. How to do it? Sign on to the United Nations Organization's Pandemic Treaty. Disease X is a placeholder for an unknown pathogen. Listen, they don't know there. They don't know it. They don't know if it's coming, but they want us to prepare for it, and they've already named it Disease X. And they're telling us, hey, we don't know what it is. We gave it a name, Disease X, and guess what it's going to do? It's going to cause a global emergency. They announced that. The director said, and I can't pronounce his name, he said, history has taught us that we must anticipate new threats. Failing to prepare leaves the world prepared to fail. The pandemic agreement that our president has already voiced his support for. Now let's pray that he can enact this and he does it just like the Constitution has declared and Congress agreed to and set up a process for doing treaties. Presidents can negotiate them, but Congress has to sign off on them. Joe Biden and Barack Obama did not do that for all that hoo-ha and billions of dollars we gave to Iran during the Obama administration. He called it a, uh, they, I think they just left the name, the official name to it as, an, as a, do, uh, a document, an agreement. It didn't go through Congress. It wouldn't have passed. We'll find out more about this one as we move forward. The pandemic agreement can bring all the experience, all the challenges that we've faced and all the solutions into one. That agreement can help us prepare for the future in a better way because this is a common enemy and without a shared response, starting from the preparedness, you know we will face the same problem as COVID. And the deadline for the agreement is May 2024. It's better actually to anticipate something that may happen because it has happened in our history many times and prepare for it. We shouldn't face things unprepared. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but let me give you the the ugly parts. If that that 
agreement goes into place, it gives the WHO, remember this is a piece of the United Nations, who we have real issues with, our lawmakers, most of them do already, and I do and have for a long time, but it gives them the unilateral authority to determine what is and when is a pandemic. And it goes further, goes deeper. If they declare, they don't, they don't tell us, call the president, call the White House and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. The contact will come down tomorrow at whatever time. You and the rest of the world are by agreement, whatever they're going to call this agreement, we are in a state of emergency. And the emergency processes these nations, whoever they all are agreed to, are this. And the WHO has total authority on determining anything and everything that any nation can do during the emergency that has been called by the WHO. You know what things that includes? They will have police that will come into every nation and will integrate with that nation's um, law enforcement and medical bureaucracy so that they can all be on the same page. But the WHO will make every call. Lockdowns, mandatory vaccinations, everything that goes along with that. If this thing is signed by our president, that's what we're going to be locked into. And it's going to happen between now and May. February, March, April, May. Four months. Four months. U.S. Republican lawmakers, they are going crazy about it. And they've been griping about it for years. It's always been laying around. But now, these sycophants over in Davos, along with idiots in different American countries, they're making it a real threat. Just keeping you in the loop. Hey, buddy, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for being here every day. Uh, we're going to have a big day tomorrow. I won't tell you a lot about it now, but make sure you are here. Tuesday is our Steve Baker day. Just think about that. You guys have a great Monday. Have fun doing something during the day and be safe. See you tomorrow at 9 a.m.